Hi, I'm Jared Fuller. Welcome to Scratching the Surface. I got into graphic design in the mid-2000s, which in retrospect feels like this pivotal moment in graphic design history. The rise in accessibility of the modern web shifted the center of gravity for the design profession. Print publications started to close as blogs and online discussions took hold. Companies and brands were getting online, opening a whole new area for graphic designers to work in. The ability to share, to buy, to trade resources had never been easier. In many ways, I'm very, very grateful that I entered the design profession at that moment that I got into design when I did. I've talked before in the show about how blogs were central to my understanding of design, but another resource from that era that holds a special place in my memory is a site called You Work For Them, which was an online, still is an online store that sold stock art, vector graphics, type, typefaces, and typography, and design books. I'm pretty sure the first fonts that I ever bought were from UWork for them, and I remember downloading vector packs to design some of my early posters. When I look back on my work then, it feels very much of that era. Not quite fully digital yet, but also no longer simply print. The aesthetic that shaped me in the mid-2000s as a teenager getting into graphic design was shaped in many ways by the resources that were available on UWork for them. You Work For Them was co-founded by my guest today, Michael China. Michael is hard to define. He's a graphic designer. He's a creative director. He's an artist and painter. He's a typographer. He's an entrepreneur. His work with clients like Apple and Disney and Adobe, uh, but he's also had a 15-year collaboration with the record label Ghostly International, designing over 200 album covers for them and shaping the visual language in many ways of that label. Michael left You Work For Them in 2010 and started China Associates, which he's run ever since and has sort of continued working on this diverse range of projects where he's focused on branding and identity design, typography, and creative direction. I wanted to have Michael on the show because he was central to that shift in graphic design in the mid-2000s. He sold products for other designers, but also was continuing to work on his own projects, his own typefaces, his own artwork. I was interested in how he's navigated these shifts in his career. I was curious about the influence of his painting work in his commercial work and why he's continued to be committed to spending 50% of his time on self-initiated or personal projects. I was also curious about how starting a business to help other designers might have influenced his own work and how he thinks about the design profession. It's been a while since I've had a practicing graphic designer on the show, and Michael in many ways is the embodiment of the type of designer that I'm interested in, straddling the lines between design and art, between personal and commercial, between big projects and small projects, all with a thoughtfulness and intentionality that I really, really admire. If you liked this episode and what we do here at Scratching the Surface, I hope you consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon supporters get bonus interviews, full transcripts, an exclusive monthly newsletter, and help keep the show free for everyone. You can head over to patreon.com slash surface podcast to sign up. And thank you so much for listening. And here is my conversation with Michael China. 
I actually want to start this conversation with asking you about something that you wrote on your Substack recently. Um, uh, you've been very prolific on, on Substack and really sort of generous with what you're sharing. And you wrote something that I've been thinking about a lot. And I'm going to just read this back to you for a second. You said, over the past two years, a sense of aimlessness crept into my professional journey. Although it might have not have been immediately apparent externally, I felt an inward wandering or blurred focus. I'm someone who is an intentional who is intentional about my actions and choices, and I eventually came to the realization that I had veered off the path. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm hoping you're, you're willing to sort of talk about this a little bit more because I found that so honest, and I think that's something that a lot of designers feel. It's something that I immediately related to. Could you talk a little bit about that feeling of aimlessness and sort of, um, you know, the path that you found yourself on and how that diverged from sort of the work that you're wanting to do? Yeah. So I was always working on the work that I wanted to do. I have had the opportunity and the fortune to just work with amazing clients and Mm. on amazing high creative projects, you know? So That wasn't the problem. The problem was, is that when I first started into design, my, my goal was to be 50% personal and 50% client work. And what I ended up finding myself was overworked a hundred percent client work (laughs) with no, like, you know, like the painting had stopped Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. you know, sketchbooks had stopped. The writing had stopped the, um, just, personal work, um, really just went away. And I just found myself like just working on client work till I went to bed, wake up, you know, another. (laughs) And I think that that's just that steady diet of that over time is not what I signed up for. So I had to really kind of go look around and say something's off because really how it happens is, and we're talking this, this is over a course of 10 years, you know? So you make a, an adjustment, a minor adjustment here or there. You say, Oh, well I'll do this or I won't do that. And so I think that there's a lot of decisions that you can make that aren't true to your vision. And if you don't have your vision, um, solidified and you're not sticking to that vision, you'll find yourself lost in the woods. I love that you brought up this, this sort of 50% personal work, 50% client work. I've heard you talk about this in other interviews and talks that Mm -hmm. that you you've given. It seems like that split was something that was there from the beginning, from sort of like early in your career. Where did that come from? Or this, where did you, you know, why, why was it important to you to, to sort of devote time to work that you wanted to do, to this personal work, self-generated work? How, how, how'd you arrive at that? So when I was in college, I went to school for visual communication and fine arts. I had a BS in um, painting and printmaking. And so I had a double major. And so really... I got into design through advertising. So I thought <laughs> advertising was design because back when I started, and it's it's so ridiculous now. Yeah, yeah. But back in the 90s, design was not a thing, really. You know, like you 
there were small houses. It was under the radar. Um, Mm -hmm. So I found out about, like I wasn't going to be doing um, any design in my advertising classes. (laughs) And then I was just like, and then someone said, oh, that's what, you know, design is for. And I just literally, and I'm not kidding, that day, walked to the um, admissions and just changed my, my major. And cause it was just like, I just always have been in the arts and I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So there was, I've never for since day one had a plan B or another vision for what I wanted to do. So when I got into design, um, I started in, it got online in 96 is like when I first really, you know, left college, which I, I dropped out of college, um, right before I graduated okay. and, um, and, and just found, got on the uh, online again. So I was creating work that was solely for myself. And it was back mm-hmm. in the day of, um, David Carson, Ray Gunn, yep. Yep. uh, designers Republic was mm-hmm. probably my biggest, mm-hmm. um, North star though. Cause when I saw the records that I had been buying were designed by these guys and then emigre featured them, I thought, Oh yeah, this it's on. Um, so I really was all into, um, creating that vision. And I think the designers Republic really brought forth that vision. And so when you're online, web publishing is free, right? You know, online, mm-hmm. um, publishing, in the real world is not. And so you could just make whatever you wanted. So I always knew that I had a vision and that I wanted to communicate my ideas and I spent that time doing it. And, um, back then too, there was a lot of, there was no commerce, you know, right. right? There was no companies. There was no, there was no big brands. There was, I mean, I can veer down a million different paths on here, but, but like 96 was pretty much like extremely tiny images. If that, and mainly text search engines just had started. There were no designers that I saw online besides like less than 10, you know, there was definitely. And so back then it was like, you made, your own thing. Right. I mean, what else did you want to do? I wasn't getting clients for it from it because when I would go to interviews, you know, I was looking for jobs and I would say, well, I can design websites and literally 0% of everybody can. I mean, seriously, it was like people most of the time would be like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, on the internet. And like, so it was just not a, not a thing. So the only thing that you could do was do self-expression. So I mm. really came up in this world of communicating my interests. So it was about music. It was about typography. It was about design, um, mm-hmm. but from mm-hmm. my viewpoint. So it was always that, and I never wanted to give that up. Uh, what's so interesting to me about your work and the way you you just phrased that answer starts to sort of clarify something in my mind because what, what's and, and it's why I wanted to ask you about this sort of aimlessness that you wrote about recently yeah. because you 
you do so many different things. <laughs> you know, you do album covers, you do branding, you design typefaces, you do illustration work, you do painting, you talk about these sketchbooks that you've been been doing for for years. Yeah. And there's two things that are interesting to me about that. One, I think when somebody does a lot of different things, and I certainly feel this in, in my work, is that it can almost become hard to sort of define yourself or classify yourself. And you have to yes. sort of, you know, code switch depending on sort of who you're talking to, which yes. I think for a lot of people can lead to to aimlessness. And I'm I'm curious to hear you talk about that. But the other piece of this, which is sort of the opposite is you do all of these things. And what's really interesting to me is they've never felt different <laughs> to me as somebody yeah. who's followed your work. They yeah. all seem like they are in dialogue with each other. And I'm wondering if you could sort of talk about that, that sort of moving between different types of projects, different scales of projects, personal work, the client work, this 50-50 split, and how you see those all fitting together or in dialogue with each other or sort of you know influencing each other. So really how I see it is everything that you know and do informs something else. So mm. um, everything that you do inspires one another. It's, a, it's, it's having a lot of interest. It fuels that inspiration. So mm -hmm. um, how I envision it, I see it like a big, large web of interconnected um, attributes or fundament fundamentals that inform one another. So really when you, when you break down design, you have uh, like elements like type layout, color image, you know, motion, whatever, mm -hmm. however you want to break it down. So really how I have seen it was just paying attention and focusing in on each one of those. And you can't do it all at once, but let's, I'm going to go through and kind of break down, all of those attributes kind of <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. So like on type design, I, I started designing type through the lens of graphic design. I mm -hmm. mean, when, when I went to college, we had to um, design typefaces and we had to memorize 50 typefaces <laughs> by sight and learn yeah. how, learn how to draw letters with a propidiograph pen on mylar, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and design our own characters that weren't even um, created. So type design is, you know, you're learning about systems and noticing subtleties and, and trying to create something new and unique out of something that's already set in stone. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I see like type design is like a kind of systems, attention to detail, solving problems, mm -hmm. hierarchy, mm -hmm. balancing old with new traditions, but it also goes into things like branding right. and you can, um, one thing that I always think about when I design type is like, what is the voice and personality and just developing that way of, um, seeing the type as a unit. And that's mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. something that I, I really focus in on because it's a longer story, but at one time you could only design one letter at a time and, and not see it within a realm of others unless yeah. you printed it out. And now you can see it all together. So really that's something that I, I've never taken for granted. I, I always see it within a system. So then let's go into design. So, you know, you're learning about grids and composition, which is really found in all arts and it's an essential um, knowing color to me is a life essential skill. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing how to read and speak in a visual language is a major 
component of design, you know, just uh, semiotics, yeah. however you want to, you know, uh-huh. go down there. So then you have the branding, which I feel like brings everything together. Yep. It's all the yep. forms of designs that, in a culmination, but then you get the, the conceptual and strategy realm. And I, that's where I really, what I really like, cause I was raised in a marketing household. So for me, it's kind of like to, to, to cut that out is a little bit disingenuous. So that's why I latched on to branding because it's like, I get a draw type, I get a draw iconography mm-hmm. and I get a, you know, figure out things for people. So, and I also like branding is that it's a never ending journey, right? I'm still learning. And I think that that's why I like design is that there's so many different things. And so yeah. I try and find all of those. And that's why I got to branding is it's like, it's, it's everything. It's the whole journey. But then you have things like album covers that it's just like more of a open form part of graphic design and they can shape shift. And um, really what I'm focusing in on is typography and really like fine art of, mm-hmm. to some nature when it comes to the covers. Um, the hardest part about that is you have to n- navigate relationships like any client work and right, art, right. but, but art, musicians are a special breed, you know? So I really use that as a way to learn how to communicate more and also try and learn how to tell stories and take them down a path that where I can capture things um, visually, because really how I see it is um, there's that phrase design is attitude. And really that's what we're trying to do. Um, and then you got the painting. So I've been making art since I'm as a kid. And like I said earlier, you know, I double majored. And so I don't know. I think like the thing I like about painting is you have to be deliberate about what you do and make decisions. Just, I I make things I make decisions differently because I paint now. Yeah. Yeah. So like I have to slow down, especially like if I'm printmaking or if I'm working like that, I can only allow myself. So I work on a, how I see it as like a process basis. Like I'm doing abstract work. It's about getting in that world. But if it's processed, I allow myself one move, you know, like a chess game or Mm -hmm. what, however. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. allow myself but all these things come together and and you can learn so much i have so many questions i i think i find that really interesting i mean the first you know the first thing i'll say which may or may not be a question as soon as you started talking about typography as a system as these component parts i was like okay there's the connection to branding you know because that's that's essentially what, what sort of branding is doing and then when you're talking about the album covers and sort of how you sort of capture that attitude or spirit, mm-hmm. you could make the argument that's a type of branding. Also, you know, there's there's there, there's sort of overlap there. Um, and then w- I think what you were saying about painting was really really interesting. You know, I I, I paint a little bit <laughs> when I have time. Mm-hmm. Also, um, and what I found I really like about painting, which does not happen for me in any other medium is I can go into a painting and not know where it's going to go. And when I'm working on a design project, I'll sometimes have ideas, you know, I'll I'll sort of have a goal in mind or I'll have a feeling in mind or the client will have something, but painting, I go to that empty canvas and it's like, I don't know where this is going to go. And you said painting has changed your design process a little bit. Can you sort of talk about that? Can you talk about sort of how you've seen that influence the work itself? 
I think with painting, it's, it's a personal vision and you get into painting because you want to express um, an idea that is for yourself. Like you said, I love the open-ended nature of it. I think that that is definitely um, how I go about things is like to, to go into a painting and kind of know what I'm going to do does not, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get to do that yeah. with design, yeah. you know? Right. So that's, that's, I get all those fulfillments in design. And so when I paint, it's the, I try and do the opposite. What it does is it loosens me up. It gets me just in a different headspace. And like design is so much about structure mm-hmm. where of course, why I paint is to stop that. You know, so why would paint is to do exactly opposite of that process. I hope this question doesn't sound like a sort of nostalgia for Mm. hand making or a sort of rejection of digital design or the computer. But it for me still, it's it's so much harder to just sort of experiment when I'm sitting at a computer. All these tools are telling me how they want to be used. I sort of have these Mm -hmm. sort of preconditions that I don't have with painting. And you're somebody who seems to always be experimenting, (laughs) to always be playing with form, to be trying new things, to, um, you know, to see how far you can sort of push things. And I'm wondering how you, how you think about that or how you, how you do that within a client project while still, leaving room for some sort of experimentation or, or open-endedness, if that's even possible. That is a million dollar question right there. I think that's a great, and that's really where I'm at is like trying to take clients down a road that isn't set in stone is really hard for people. Everybody wants to, to know that you have all the answers and that you're going to solve all the problems. But I think, (laughs) Really, what the reality is, is that you have to walk down the path and see things together. So how I see things now is the better a client can communicate right off the bat, the better feeling that I have that we can have a relationship where we can talk about harder and deeper subject matter. And Mm. I think, you know, I've spent my whole life figuring this stuff out, but what you can't see is in the future. And I think people expect that from you. Mm. So really being able to have honest conversations and and let them know that we can, if things aren't going, aren't, aren't feeling right, that we can always change course and we can always move things out. And I'm usually the one that's doing that. Like when I'm working on, this is where I have the most freedom. So this is where it would show up the most. But as an album cover designs is that I will switch directions if I feel like I need to, and I'll explain that. But when you're in a client project, it's a little bit harder to do that, you know, to go. And so what you have to do is like go back and say, this is what we're trying to do. This is our objectives. Are we meeting those objectives? Yes or no. And really um, try and solve these problems in a real way. So I think that is a hard conversation to have with clients um, that don't understand the design process process. But what I've been trying to do is really do the hard work. And that's why when I'm talking, when we started off the conversation, doing the hard work of like, really, what do I want to do? Really? How do I want to speak? And then how do I want to lead people down these conversations? Because I think the, the more that you know yourself and what you want, the more you can help others and help others 
go down those paths as well, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and so the the more the more that I spend writing and knowing my process, the better I can serve other people by talking about the process and explaining it in a way where they can get it, and then they feel more confident in the the approach. I think that's exactly right, and I'm I'm thinking about my own sort of journey and zigzag in design. And I'm also thinking about my students as you're saying that, because I have so yeah. many students who, you know, they look at the design scene today and they look at sort of the dom- dominating sort of like the big tech companies or the big brands. I mean, you've worked for a lot of these people. You've done projects Absolutely. for a lot of these companies. Um, and they're just like, I don't want I don't know if I want to do that. Like, that seems so faceless. That's like, how do I bring my ideas into, uh, you know, just to like <laughs> run down your client list for yeah. a second, a Disney or an Adobe or a Coca-Cola. Yep. And, and you're somebody who goes between those. You, you do stuff for Disney and Adobe and Coca-Cola, but then you also, you know, you make album covers. Like, how does, how does your work change or your process change or your approach change if you're designing an album cover for someone like Matthew Deere to like a typeface like Disney? Like how do you how do you sort of bring your ideas into a Disney the way you would uh, a Matthew Deere if that makes sense? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Well, I think every process is different and the more that you experiment with process and language you're able to shift focus and know kind of what, how things are supposed to be done. Like I'm working on a community building project right now, and I've never done something like that, but everything that I've done has informed it and where you kind of go into it thinking, well, I've never done this. I don't know anything. Everything that I've done informs that. And so I have strong opinions right, right away. And they're not informed by anything I've read (laughs) or done or, you know what I mean? And so it's really strange to go like, I don't know why, but this is the right way to do it. (laughs) And, and so I trust, I, you, I talk sometimes about developing out your gut and your, your, your feelings. And when you're young, you have a very closed, rigid structure of things, how things are supposed to be done. And mm-hmm. as you get older, you see the the reality is that, that there's a million ways to do these, but what's the wisest way or what's the way that um, right. is the most impactful? And that's how I lead these projects. Um, and it's, it, it can be nerve wracking at times because sometimes there's just not a process or language around them and you have to build those. And and a lot of times it's like kind of like, you know, the, the whole phrase, like building the plane as you're, as you're yeah. flying. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And really that's um, what it is. But my history and my experience is rich and I am able to land the plane always, you know, like I don't have problems with that. So that's, 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 you know, and that's yeah. the one thing yeah. that you always have to remind yourself is like, how many times have I not been successful okay yeah yeah okay. i'm good yeah yeah i uh 
I have a writer friend who told me that every time she gets asked to write a new thing, she goes back and reads the last thing she wrote to remind mm. herself that she knows how to do it. Because <laughs> she's sort of like, oh, I don't know how to write. I don't know how to do this. But if she reads the thing she just wrote, she's like, oh, I've done this before. Exactly. There's also this sort of trope or cliche in design that you get projects based on the clients or based on the projects that you've done before and that like the type of work you do leads to more of that type of work. And I think mm -hmm. there's there's some there's some truth to that. And I'm wondering how you think about that in the context of the range of your work. Do, do these big brands come to you because they've seen that you work for other brands? Or do these, have these big brands ever come to you and been like, hey, that stuff you do for Ghostly, do some of that for us. Or, hey, we saw your sketchbooks or your painting. Like, how, how do those start to, like, do you actually get work based on the opposite type of work, I guess is the question. E yeah, it's a, it, you know, of course, it's, it's, a, it's never a science on mm -hmm. how you get work, but I do feel like it's, it's very, let me think about this. This is, this is a really hard one because <laughs> I think that there's, there's no rhyme or reason why you get projects. And a lot of times what you show is what you get. But what you do does not guarantee your next project. Um, mm, I recently okay. got hit up for doing like, I don't know, like two or three websites. And I have not, I don't ever advertise that I do websites. <laughs> but I think that people understand, I think the people that come to me know that I can help solve those problems. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's true. Like I just designed a website for a company um, in a very short amount of time and actually kind of gave them their whole business plan um, <laughs> because they didn't have one set in stone. And, but they came to me because they knew I could do it. I was right. the guy for the job. Right. So they, they knew enough to know what they didn't know, but they also trusted me on the things that they needed. And so that was a perfect storm. And so like I could either go come back and let me know when you have all these assets and then I'll start, or I could go, yeah, let's have some fun and, and figure some things out. And, um, that's what I did. And it was a lot, I can't tell you how much fun it was. It was just like, it was such a great process, but yeah, I mean, I do so many different things and, I cannot give you a rhyme or reason why I get these jobs. And sometimes I do ask, um, but it is such a wide variety and I do love that. And that's why I got into this is to work on a wide variety of, of projects. Yeah. I mean, and, and just, you know, thinking about websites for a second, I'm thinking about your website and the China Associates website links to the China Art website. You know, you have mm -hmm. all this stuff together. It's not like you're trying to separate them or to you yeah. know let only the branding clients see the branding clients i was sort of curious how you think about about that yeah it's that one has always been a hard decision and finally it's taken me a long time to figure this out but really it was seeing um seeing the vision of like where i wanted to go and how i wanted to present everything and i've i've never liked the idea of an integrated portfolio, but it mm. does seem to be, it has a lot of conveniences, right? You yeah. go to one place, it's all there. So how I 
and it's taken me a long time to get here, but like finally seeing that I can build a self-contained site just for my art, taking, mm-hmm. uh, having a self-contained site just for branding. So if somebody wants to hire me for branding, they can see that, but it all links back to a larger ecosystem. So that's right. kind of how I've been seeing things. And then I can develop out even sub sites from that. Like I can dive into the ghostly project and really show a deep yeah. dive. And if I want yeah. to even go deeper within one of those projects, I can show, I can even go down one level and go, okay, here's a 300 image website that showed my process of how I did something. And that's just not something I've seen before to that level. And so it's just something that's like, well, I haven't ever seen it, but what it does is it shows my process in a more genuine and real way and say the end, because how I see it is, is the process is the project yeah, and the end, the end image is just a, um, a token of that whole thing. So for me to be able to show the whole process within one site is so liberating and um, very exciting. And so what I've been just doing lately is just building out these mini sites and devoting like a whole site to a sketchbook, you know, a whole site to this, and then I can have fun within that. And so as I've been working in with, with doing these sites, it's just been um, just, it just, is so it's such an inspiring time right now yeah and it's i mean and then you could even go a step further and that then you're writing about the process of building these sites on your sub stack and so we're seeing that process too which is yeah you know there's there's sort of these layers of this i think i think you're right and i really love the depth that you're going into um you know by doing these mini sites let's talk about about your work with ghostly for a little bit because mm-hmm. um you know we've sort of been talking around it you've been with you've been doing work with them since 2008 i think somewhere around there yeah end of 2007 yeah and i sort of have a thought about you and ghostly that i want to run by you and <laughs> see what you think and maybe extrapolate on a little bit i've I, i'm a big fan of ghostly i've been listening to to artists on on, yeah. on their label for as long as i can remember yeah and I've come to think of ghostly as sort of a a modern or contemporary like ECM records Mm, Um, in that there is a, there is a strong brand. There's a strong sort of visual language, but it's not so dominating that it's overtaking the art. Like that, that, that move from label to artist is very clear. You sort of know what you're going to get, but there's also these surprises and then there's a strong sort of visual sense with it. I think a lot of that is largely through your covers, honestly. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, working with them for so long, working with this range of artists, how do you how do you think about that as a body of work, as something that speaks both to the artist, but also speaks to what ghostly is and sort of playing with those those layers does that sound right to you as a a way you approach that or am i completely completely off yeah i mean everything like we were just talking about exists in a larger ecosystem so everything does always point back to ghostly i i think i understand it the question but it's 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 a complex um understanding of the relationship so like we've obviously had a long-standing relationship um sam and i um are close friends and Mm -hmm. i um see them as a collaborator and i'm part of like their inner circle so i am doing a lot 
um, behind the scenes as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I serve as designer and advisor uh, slash consultant. Um, I work on strategy with, with them. And so really you can't divorce anything from that. But I think w- what also we need to point at is Sam Valenti is very well versed in business as he is in art. I mean, he mm. is better versed in fine art than I am. And I don't know many people that are <laughs> that know more about fine art than me. You know what I mean? But he is, he is an encyclopedia. Like yeah. I am with music. He's an encyclopedia with art. So his, um, his love is design and art in, mm. in music as well. I'm so you, you, what you do is all your interests kind of, again, come together and form who you are and how you operate. So I think what you're seeing is a culmination of like, I am a visual person and I love music and he's in the music business, but he loves art. And so really when you put those two combo together, you get somebody who really genuinely cares about the culture and they do. I mean, it's like, and that's something that they have is like trust with, with people in, in a real, a reality, um, a, a real authentic um, relationship with the arts and it's not superficial and you can't, you can't make that up. You have to be it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. as so many brands like to want to be something, but the only way you can be that is by doing it authentically. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it is they think that design can solve those issues and design cannot solve any of those issues. It's from being authentic to yourself in your vision that that's where that comes from. So what you're seeing is exactly that. And and not just being authentic to yourself and your vision, but also being authentic to the collaboration that is now 15 years, you know, 15 years running. How does that, how does, how does working with a client for 15 years change that relationship or change how you, how you work with them? You know, it, I think you get more trust, you know, you get more trust with the community as well. Um, And you get, you, but but yeah, for me, it's like I've worked on possibly 200 covers for them. Wow. And so, I mean, we're not even counting apparel, ad campaigns, like side projects that, you know, for, the for brands. The ghostly typeface. Yeah, the typeface, yeah. all those things. It's like, you know, those are just, that's just a drop in the hat. And yeah. so really when you, when you say like 200 covers or whatever, that's just a small aspect of it. And so, you know, I'm always looking to the future for them. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm sharing like bands that I really think have potential and, and I, you know, so there's a lot of things that, that go on with that, but what you do is you get a seat at the table after you right. get the trust. And then, right. um, and that's something that I wish I had more of with other companies is that when you develop these relationships, it's, it's magic because they, you don't have to explain anything. He doesn't have to explain anything to me about Ghostly unless he's changing something up because I know it like to my core. So when I hear a, a new band that is interesting, I can go, hey, check this out. And a yeah. lot of times he knows, but sometimes he doesn't. And so it's just, or or I will come up with ideas under that notion of what they are and what they're doing. Like I was just just sitting around one day and this happens a lot and I just get a vision of how I can use their logo in a 
system. And so mm-hmm. I'll say, Hey, this is an idea. I'll sketch it out. I'll show it to him. And then he goes, great idea. Let's hold on to it. Let's think about that for the 25 and start talking about that more. So then we'll just have like little conversations here and there yeah, that kind of build up to something. So, and that's, again, that's another way of working that is um, very wise is not to jump in head first. Yeah. Um, is to look around and see things and, and walk slowly. And that's something that we've, I think we've really been able to do. And I just think it's such a magic relationship. And um, yeah, I just can't say enough uh, about how they have conducted themselves and how the take, having faith in, in somebody and continuing that relationship is unheard of. I mean, it's like people there's no case studies for that hard. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I, it's really nice to hear, you know, as a fan of both your work and their work, yeah. you know, to hear yeah. that, that that's such a fruitful collaboration for both sides. As for we sure. head, as we head to the end of the conversation, I actually want to go back in time okay. and talk a little bit about your early work. Cause like I said earlier, I've been following you for 20 years uh-huh. at this point, almost. I, I, I first discovered your work. I, I can't, pinpoint exactly i was still in high school interested in design and i i found your your uh your company you work for them which mm-hmm. was a a sort of sister company to the studio you were running at the time we work for them yeah. uh and on you work for them you were selling typefaces sort of stock art um yep. you know things for designers i always saw it as like a like typefaces and, and sort of like stock art and imagery for designers by designers kind of thing yep um it's very possible i i wanted to bring the receipts to this conversation and I could not find them. <laughs> it's very possible you work for them. Mm. You know, I bought my first typeface from, from you, yeah. you know, yeah. 20 years ago. And uh, you got out of that in, in 2010. Um, so yes. I, I realized this is, is distance. But that running that for nine years, uh, 2001 to 2010, I'm, I'm curious what you learned from that sort of being on the other side of this world, you know, where your clients were designers, where you were sort of servicing other designers, you were running a business. How did that change how you think about design in the design industry? I think there's a lot of ways to go in on that question. I mean, I was the, the, the consumer or I was the, you know, the, the customer. So it was very easy, but I think like what I'm going to do is just kind of back up and kind of like, because I think really it, it was like how the vision started for it as well. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, obviously we were, we were running a design agency, you know, working for incredible clients, but I had a extensive typeface um, right. library that I had designed in previous typeface um, foundries that I had had run like Test Pilot Collective and my own personal one when I first started. And so I had these typefaces that were um, not being sold at the time. And so I really needed a home for my typefaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I also had been importing r- extremely rare and expensive design books. Oh, right. Could, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. That you could not find in the United States. I mean, you could just not buy a copy. If you wanted to buy a copy, you're going to pay um, 200 bucks plus shipping. Right. overseas. And so it's, and so what I started doing was um, 
just researching all of these books that I wanted, such as Grid Systems and Emil Reuter's Typography, mm-hmm. um, and buying them from you know places like Nigli over in Germany, importing them, paying you know paying the the importing uh, fees and and whatnot. But then also, I would buy them in bulk. I would buy like twenty copies, and then I would sell copies to my friends for like forty or fifty bucks, right. which was in unheard of. You know, right. I mean, again. Right. Couldn't touch a, that book in the states, um, much less you know, much less than two hundred bucks. So I was doing a lot of research and finding these titles in these books and doing that on my own. And so I ended up um, posting some of these as well on you work for them. So the typefaces were on there, the um, books were on there, and so. That's right. I what remember it, this now. Yeah. Yeah. And so what it did is I think it, it kind of set the tone for more of a, a proper or Swiss notion of what design was, because that's what I was interested in. So I was pushing that mm-hmm. thing. But also, you know, I was buying books from all over the world as well, you know, from the Netherlands, Japan. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to really just like pull all that stuff in. But I kind of saw it as as an educational resource as yeah. well. So I was providing you with these books that were just unobtainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really just a, a, a great, um, and for me, it was inspirational because I felt like I was really serving the community, not only with the education, but with like design assets. Yep. Um, yep. So for me, I was... Also, you know, part of that whole ethos, what I would do was I would find typeface designers that um, were often designers, just like graphic designers, but they were designing a typeface Mm -hmm. and I'd go alongside them and I would um, help mentor them and get the typeface ready for for shipping and, um, you know, just really trying to show people that you can not have to just solely do client work that you can sell products that you make, um, digital art, you know, we were selling digital art back then, you know, as quote unquote stock art, we were, um, just doing things in a way that I was hoping helped people with their career and just really like trying to link that up. Like you have a great vision and yeah. you're trying to do this and I can provide you with a retail outlet that also has the same vision that you do. And so really like that's kind of how I I thought about things. And I don't know if that answers your question. I think you probably should follow up and Yeah, I mean it does and it I think as as one of your customers as a 15-year-old yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. That's that's what I appreciated about it. It was it was educational and it was also accessible. I think like that's yeah. First typefaces were from you is because they were the only ones I could afford. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, and there was a sort of generosity to that. I remember, I mean, I think so yeah. much of my early work that I made in high school and college was so influenced by the things that were accessible on, on, on you work for them. What's, what's interesting in sort of that era of sort of the design world, that sort of, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s, in retrospect to me, and maybe I'm nostalgic for this because this is when I entered into design and was, you know, in, in design school. Mm-hmm. It seems like there was a shift there from a sort of like print dominated design to a digital dominated design culture. And yes. you're already talking about sort of your early web experiments, but 
you know, you were doing your work for them right at a turning point in the design world where where the the print magazines were dying, the sort of the print dominated industry was changing and it was all moving online. Were you aware of that? Like, you know, can, can you sort of just talk about what it was like to be operating in that space, both as a designer, but also as a service for other designers and how aware of that sort of power shift uh, you were at the time? Uh, oh, yeah, I was, absolutely was. I mean, you were seeing these big companies just come in and change like just deforestation of the internet. And it was challenging for me to see because I had always, you know, I had been, I had first gotten online um, in the eighties actually through a family friend. So, I mean, I had seen, you know, you have a, have to have your own phone line. You flip the phone upside down. You, you know, you can talk with anybody throughout the world, et cetera. And then in 95, uh, or no, sorry, 1995, um, having friends that were starting to get on and it was a weird place and you could see the shift, but what was great about it is that you had all of these visionary people that I was like very close with that would be making products, you know, like, mm. um, I could name a long list of people. Um, I probably should like, um, Joshua Davis from PlayStation, oh, yeah, Matt yeah. from Volume One. We were yeah. selling stuff from all of these guys too, and like really being like, and I would be out of, always going out of my way to say, "Listen, please make your own projects. Please do these things because we can all work together, and we have a you know an audience that appreciates this, and we're serving them, but we're also helping you with with your personal work because." all of these projects were coming out of these personal places in, yeah. in personal, exp- you know, how, how do you deal with motion on online? How do you do stuff? And we, you know, like a lot of these guys, we were all breaking, trying to break the internet more, not trying to, um, <laughs> right, you know, right. not trying to build on it, trying to just see what you can do on it and explore. And, and yeah. so really like I, I did see that and I saw that there was a need for this unique voice that was like a younger audience that really got it. So like I um, operated under that world is like my world becomes their world. But I've done some reflection on this recently and really it's like I found and I've and part of it was like doing all these personality att- tests and everything. But I have a high entrepreneurial <laughs> that makes attributes. sense. And and so it's like when I saw that, I was like, I don't know, that seems weird. But like then I look and think about it for two seconds, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally right. So like uh-huh. I, I just took all of these things that were me helping people, um, having fun with what you're doing. All of my att- you know, all my interests were 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 in play there. And so that was almost like my perfect scenario. I'm able to find books, you know, I'm, I'm just, I I mean, I have a whole studio full of books here and then I have a basement full of books and records. I just, that's kind of who I am is I'm just that guy. It's just, I love having these collections. So when I need them, I can have them, but I also love sharing too. You know, I, I love Uh being like, well, 
you can have these books too. You know, these are and and trying to sell them for a decent price. You know, when Amazon started popping up, that really killed a lot of that game. And um, so, but yeah, I think like really for me, it was like, yeah, I was aware of that. The world was changing and, um, and I saw it, but I, of course you can't see into the future to really kind of go. But as soon as like, I stopped feeling that, that excitement, you know, I was starting to like in 2007, like we had mentioned, I was doing stuff for ghostly. I was starting to paint again. I was doing things like that. So really when you dive deep back into your interests, that that pulls out a sea change, right? It's like that. It just you're kind of like I'm out. Take it easy. Um, I'm on to you know really kind of going about things how how I want to do them again. I uh, I have two more very quick questions. Yeah, please. Um, the first one is exactly what you were just talking about. Speaking of sort of looking into the future, what's next for you? Like where, where do you see your work going or what are, you know, we began this conversation talking mm-hmm. about sort of veering off that path and sort of re, you know, sort of refocusing. What does that look like for you? You know, that's something I'm still working on and I'm still, um, I think that that's my, my biggest vision right now when you have these impulses and these ideas and interests, it's hard to see how they all combine together, but you know that you have them. So Hmm. um, obviously I'm running China associates um, and we focus in on, you know, creative direction, branding, any type of visual communication and custom typefaces, which is a lot, but it's, it's, it, you know, we, we try to, work with large and and small clients and also work with agencies on special projects. So like we're doing all of these things still and, and how I hire out. And I'm just going to say, cause everybody asks this is I, I just have a team of people that I work with and I hire accordingly. Um, since we do a lot of different projects, I can't always, you know, have a typeface designer on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I do have, you know, three or four people that I call for, for work. So that's kind of how, how I do it. And and how I'm starting to see it is it just like solving creative problems is really how I am approaching it. But I also have this strong desire for education and community. So I've been really going down this, these paths and Mm. exploring, what does this look like? How can I build something? Um, What feels right and authentic for me? And so I, just know, I just have to follow. Um, and I talk about it sometimes on my sub stack is just following these energy, um, things. So like, I just got off the, um, phone recently with, um, somebody and talking about like community building. And after I was just so amped, you know, I was so charged up where I'm, and I know that there's, that I'm in the honeymoon stage and that this is, you know, when you really get into community, it's very difficult. And so I fully, not naive about it, but there is that naivety of, of where I haven't been in those. I have started communities. I'm part of a larger community, but like starting something on your own is a completely different look. Yeah. And so I just really just follow, I'm, I'm following my interest and um, also seeing ways that I can help people with my experience and wisdom. And so I have a lot of ideas right now on what I can do, but like, again, is like how I have to do it is I can't rush into 
the, those things. I have to keep as business, you know, keep going as business, but then adding on things and cutting out other things, you know, you're always pruning. Um, and that's really important is you have to, you can't start something else without stop doing something else. It's just, you have to really always, um, be mindful and conscious of that. And so I've been really exploring these routes and, and trying to figure out what that is. But I think, um, what I'm doing is, is moving more into a elder role, so to speak, and, and, and helping people with solve problems. Like, you know, like I said, um, I'm starting to get companies come to me and be like, we have this problem. How can you help us solve it? Or we, we need this look and feel, and we know that you'll be able to do it. So I, I, I still am doing side projects. Like um, I'm still designing typefaces. Um, I've got right. two that I'm working on. I'm still working on public type help help. I'm, I'm bringing that up to help sell other people's typefaces right, right now, right. but also I'm doing, I'm just doing a lot, you know, and, and, and it's <laughs> yeah. the thing yeah. is, is that it all, it feeds itself. It all like yep. is, is part. So I'm just starting to, for some reason, I've just started drawing iconography again and like weird mm. ones, not just like logos that could be used <laughs> on something that are like strangely specific, you know, like, uh, 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 just making up things and having fun with it and just really kind of getting back into yeah. that world of like, uh, discovery and, 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 totally. and experimentation and, and, and wonder, you know, like capturing that wonder. And so I think that that's really where I'm at. And I've just been seeing so much fruit coming from that, that I can't stop, you know, I can't stop <laughs> right. on that path. And right. so then you start to protect it, you know, and start to go like, well, how do I make this happen? How can I do more of this? and figure out how to make it work. So like, so one of the ideas that I have is, is making a site that I can um, not only present some of the work that I'm doing, but also possibly license and sell these, these pieces. And so it, it starts from just um, having fun and, and following that your gut. Um, but then as it goes, like some things drop off quick and then you go, okay, well that was fun. And then some things keep going and you go, okay, well then how do I need to build a world around this? I feel like if there's a theme to this conversation, it is that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think that's yep. exactly right. And that's a nice way to wrap up this conversation. So I'm going to ask you the question that I used to end all of these, which usually is what you're reading right now, which I do want to know what you're reading. <laughs> before we rec started recording, we were talking a little bit about music too. So I also am curious yeah. about who you're listening to. So what are you reading? Who are you listening to these days? I can tell you my favorite record of the year was um first one was heather and it's h-e-t-h-e-r covered in heather and it's kind of like a weird thing where it's almost like moax meets um psychedelic rock um what they're doing is they're covering a lot of songs from you know the I think the first song is from the 1920s or 30s because uh, I know the original but I I yeah. Anyway, wow. so okay. that, and then I really, um, liked the ML book, uh, sun tub record. I think that that's something I've been listening to a lot. And then the last one that I'm going to leave you with on that is the Laura Groves radio red. Um, she used to be in a group called blue something. Um, but yeah, she, it's just kind of like a, 
a weird throwback to the late 80s, but in her own voice, it's got like Sampha is on a few tracks. And so you kind of get the old and the new blend. But as far as reading, I just got that um, massive logo beginnings book. I think it's from Tashin. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of like, since I've been exploring these weird marks, I, I bought that finally. I've been eyeing it forever. Yeah, um, nice. But it's just so, you know, it's huge. The Armin Hoffman Reduction Ethics and Didactics. Oh, yeah. um, I just bought that, hoping to read it. But you're gonna laugh, you know. I ha- I have to say it, but I've read I'm really reading the Rick Rubens for the third time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I'm teaching a class at Prembrook with Matthew Schlein, and we're mm. using that as a reference. So I I have to, I just have to keep on reading it and just understanding what I want to pull out of it and how do I want to. Um, encapsulate that but really the biggest one that i i'd wanted to mention was the visual thinking by temple grandin and oh yeah i think it, it i think the subtitle is like the hidden gifts of people who think in pictures patterns and abstractions so that book um the first 50 pages she goes heavy into education and how it how visual thinking works in the world but i've always heard the word visual thinking as a metaphor you know, like I mm-hmm. never really knew and understood that people that people do think in 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 imagery, right. and because right. that's how I think. That's all the way, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like when, and so that's just my reality. And so I always thought that that's how people thought, but I I realized that there's a big. Um, divide between people like myself and my wife. My wife loves word games and Scrabble and things mm. like that. And for me, I'm like the furthest from me. <laughs> I just am not yeah. that guy. And I always felt guilty about it because her whole family is also from that world too. Mm-hmm. But I'm a person that like, I draw typefaces for fun, <laughs> right. you know, like I, that's the kind of stuff that I do for fun. And so really hearing that, rocked my world. Honestly, I was in tears. I mean, Oh wow. Wow. And so that book really changed my life. And that, so that I would have to point to again, visual thinking by Temple Grandin and she is uh, an amazing person in general. Well that, yeah, that is a great, that is a great way to wrap up this conversation. Like I said to you multiple times, Michael, I've been following your work for, you know, Thank you. 20 years, essentially my entire design life. And so this was, this was really fun to talk about your work and how you think about your work. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and uh, looking forward to talking to you in the future. That was my conversation with Michael Chena. Our theme music is by Jeremiah Chu. The show is and always will be free thanks to the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you like what we're doing here, I hope you consider supporting us and get some bonus content each month. You can follow us across social media at Surface Podcast, and you can listen to all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at our website, scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.